Julian Edlow here for DraftKings. The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. Conference tournaments, Final Four, to win it all, you name it, it's all available on the DK Sportsbook app. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code ROSS. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code ROSS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccp.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort located in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, bonus bets expire 160 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. If you'd like to make your NFL games a little more interesting, you've come to the right place. It's the Even Money Podcast with Ross Tucker and Steve Fezzik. Yeah, Vegas, baby, Vegas. It is the Even Money Podcast presented by betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Use that glorious promo code PODCAST1 to get a 50% sign-up bonus. He is Steve Fezzik, the master of all he oversees as a result of being the only two-time winner of the Westgate Super Contest. Very, very cool feather in his cap. He is the pro's pro that you can follow on Twitter at Fezzik Sports and only at Fezzik Sports. Do not accept any imposter Twitter handles. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL, Twitter and Instagram. I think most of you know this, but former NFL player, five teams, seven years, classic journeyman. And uh, you can also get at me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. We're giving out more and more season-long entries onto the Fantasy Feast each and every week. So you guys can absolutely get involved in that. Maybe it's just buying some meat for the summer on the grill using the code Tucker over at ButcherBox.com. You can do that any way, really, that you want to get involved and try to get in that season-long Fantasy League. You can do it. Been really looking forward to this one, by the way, Steve. Ever since last week when we discussed it and said, yeah, let's do that next week. How to win betting pro football. Been looking forward to this. Let's dive in. Where do we start? We're we're talking about how to win betting pro football. Is it any football or just pro football? Really any football, but my specialty is the NFL. So we're going to talk more about NFL than college football. Okay. So where do we start, Steve? Class is in session Professor Fezzik is at the front of the class. How do we win betting pro football? All right. I'm going to give one technique that I think really works each and every year, and we can talk about it already with week one. And I'm going to call this the eight of clubs method of handicapping, and it is so simple, Ross. You're going to love this. So NFL week one lines are out, and as you know, the lines come up on Sunday night for the following week in the NFL each and every uh, week and similar for college football. So as soon as these lines come out and have settled, give them a day to settle, 
I want you over the course of the season to write down what those lines are, sides and totals in every game. Now, those numbers aren't all correct, and there's going to be some information that comes in, and there's going to be some bets that come in that are going to move the lines over the course of the week. But a good gospel the rule to live by is that you never want to bet a number that is significantly worse than what that opening number that was available that you had time to bet. So um, as an example, if we look at that Thursday night game, Green Bay-Chicago opens up at four, still some fours, leak down to three and a half, the Bears are favored. All right, what's the type of bet that you aren't going to win betting the NFL? Well, that's on the day of the game when the line goes to three in some places, which I think there's a good chance it will. Trying to win betting Green Bay plus three because all your handicapping has that the Bears are going to be a little bit down and Green Bay is going to be back up and they're pretty equal teams and you're going to grab three when you could have had four all summer long. So the rule is is that you never want to take a number that's significantly worse than the number you could have had earlier in the week or earlier in the year. I think that is a great guideline to live by and to pay attention to. And conversely, whenever you see a line move uh, and move significantly without any key injuries and it moves like three points, it is rarely wrong to fade the move and go against the move and bet on the team that all the money has come in against because, Ross, let's face it, if a game opened up at three and it closes at pick, how much value is there left on that underdog catching plus one or pick when they were plus three um, earlier in the week? Not a lot, but I will also say this, Steve. This sounds like, and I guess that's part of winning, but this sounds like how to not lose betting pro football. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a, a big part of picking winners is to make sure that you don't get stuck with what I call a lemon. What's a lemon? A lemon's a bet that you're going to win less than half the time and you're laying minus a dollar ten on. So it turns out if you look at a lot of the official numbers coming out of Nevada and New Jersey, there's, there's months where the hold is 8%. So the money bet, all the money being bet, 92% goes back to the betters. The bookie holds 8%. How is that even possible when a drunk baby throwing darts is only going to lose at 4.54% straight betting, laying a dollar ten. Well, the reason is is that a lot of bettors can't even pick 50%, and the reason being is they're betting into bad numbers on public sides on games, and they just frankly get crushed. Got it. Okay. That I see. These are the type of things and math that people need to be aware of. Uh, but you're right, even if – because the thing that's interesting about it, Steve, if the line's moving like that, usually there are reasons for that, and those reasons are what compels people to bet even though the lines move that long and uh, move that far. And a lot of times people don't even know what the line was earlier. They just are betting that week or that day, and they just care – what the line is then. Exactly. So example week one, Baltimore's at Miami. Miami's going to be terrible this year. Anyone who does their research is going to conclude that the Dolphins are going to be way, way down. So it's going to be difficult to make a case to bet on Miami in that game. Well, that line opened three, three and a half in some spots. So 
if you're going to bet Baltimore, you can still lay four. Don't lay Baltimore minus five and a half right before the game kicks off in September. That's probably what it's going to close at because you had all summer to lay four or even less than four, and nothing is going to have changed except for the story is going to become um, circulated around more and more, and everyone's going to come to the same conclusion that Miami's awful. Well, guess what? Miami better be awful if they're home week one and they're catching five and a half. Got it. All right. So then what what else you got for me? I think, uh, and now this is more college football than pro football, but both. If people ask me, oh, when you live wager, what games do you pay the most attention to? And you'll like this, Ross. The, um, the games I pay the most attention to are outdoor weather games because – Think about this. You've got these advanced models that everyone is following to go ahead and predict what the final scores are going to be in these games. Where is that model going to fail horribly when the weather suddenly turns bad? So we always talk about the game you attended where there was the freak snowstorm right before the game started and the game goes way under. So if you get a game with a whole lot of wind and a whole lot of snow or precipitation, that is going to change everything. And if you're live wagering a game and you are lucky enough that you get a game with that headwind slash tailwind, now all of a sudden think about the implications. The team going into 25-mile-an-hour wind in the second quarter, they're going to struggle mightily. And if you can even bet what the first half result's going to be, well, that team that's getting the ball that looked terrible in the first quarter um, going into the wind is suddenly a great bet with the wind in the second quarter. So I love live wagering and outdoor games with, ad, with adverse weather, that's a game you turn up the volume and pay close attention to. Um, how does that compare to weather forecasts during the week and, yeah, and weather betting for, before the game? during the week are certainly good. You, want, you can make some good money you know, playing those. The, the, you know, the problem with that is that um, you've got to be in front of it. You've got to get that weather forecast before the numbers already moved. And that kind of goes back to what we're saying. If you, if you say, oh, the weather's really bad, I'm going to play under, and you're playing under 38 on a game that opened 43, well, that's already been incorporated into all these models, and people have adjusted for it already. So you need to take a look at that opening number. The opening numbers very, very rarely, if ever, reflect any weather um, and I've actually heard there have been studies done that if you did nothing more than got early forecasts for rain in college football games and just bet every single game where there would be rain, that would be sufficient enough to have a winning model. So what's interesting, uh, do you rely on, are you willing to do like extended forecasts? So like right when the line comes out, you see what the weather looks like a week ahead and bet off of that because it seems like the extended or look ahead forecast or whatever they call it seems like that that changes a lot by the time you actually get to saturday exactly right so it's too far in advance usually the sweet spot is right about wednesday night where for a college saturday game because the lines oftentimes you'll see them start to trickle on early forecasts but usually what happens like i love like betting early Thursday morning, because the markets largely go to sleep, the syndicates stop betting. So anywhere from Wednesday night until Thursday around, oh, 6 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Pacific, you don't see any movement in the numbers, but you get 12 more hours 
of um, updating of the weather forecast. So um, during that corridor, late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, that's oftentimes a great time to bet college football games to go under. So what's interesting about that, Steve, is here we are, and we're talking about you know how to win betting football, both pro and college, and you really haven't talked about the sport or the teams or the games yet, you really said just line movement and weather. So it's almost as if people, if people did a better job of turning their football brains off or their, the knowledge they believe they have about the teams off and instead focusing just on those two things, line movement and weather, that they'd be better off. Well, I don't think they'd be better off. Ideally, you incorporate all the factors. But what I'm trying to do is give you what, a situations where one factor completely dominates every other aspect of handicapping. If you know there's going to be really bad weather, everything else takes a back seat to it. And frankly, the numbers that are put out there reflect the power ratings of the teams. They reflect the performances of the teams. The odds makers have models that are fairly efficient, such that it's going to be rare you're going to find numbers that are way off unless there's one parameter or factor that trumps everything else. Now, there certainly are you know, many, many other factors, but there are a limited number of hours in the day. So I'm just giving you examples. I know one guy, he can't name a player on any team, Ross, wins every year just by one, running weather reports. Um, I will say this. I know another guy, he wins every year, and all he does is he maps out the schedules way, way ahead of time during the summer and identifies, like, greatest spot ever to horrible spot for certain teams. And, by example, I know that Notre Dame plays seven teams that are off bye weeks this coming year. Well, that factors all I need to know that to know that a bet on Notre Dame to go over season wins is horrendous. You want to bet under on the Irish at nine and a half wins because when you have to play so many teams that have two weeks to pre- prepare just for you and they're going to be jacked up to play you anyways because you're Notre Dame, that is going to trump any other factors that are going to be associated with handicapping how Notre Dame is going to do this year. Okay, but then how do you know that the people that set the over-under total for Notre Dame don't already know that and didn't already account for that? Great question, and it comes down to just a limited number of hours in the day. If you're an odds maker and you're like, all right, by a week from Tuesday, I need season win numbers on the top 30 teams, basically you're going to go ahead and take a look at the performance last year, the returning starters, is their quarterback back, are they going to be better this year, last year, who do they play, punch in all the numbers, all right, they're playing Notre Dame's playing Michigan State, here's what the projected spread is by, based on the power rating, this is going to translate to this many wins for the Irish, you, you get where I'm going, this is a long and cumbersome task, to go ahead and have to incorporate all these ancillary secondary factors is really beyond the average um, amount of work that a human being is going to do. And frankly, if they are going to go to that level of detail and the like in May or June or July, they're probably betting for a living instead of booking for a living. So I guess here's a question I I have for you, Steve. Why do you specialize in the NFL when it would seem like it's easier to make money betting college football? 
It's a great question, and it's because I'm just so much better at the NFL than any other sport, and all the major contests in town are typically NFL contests, and I've done so well in those. If, I, if anyone was just starting out and they asked me, I would say, although I'm way better at the NFL, I would bet college football. To use a poker example, imagine you're like the world's greatest um, limit poker player in 2004, and Chris Moneymaker has just won the World Series of Poker in No Limit, and the world's juiciest games are No Limit, but you're a world-class limit poker player. Well, you probably should learn No Limit, but awfully difficult not to keep playing what you're absolutely best at. Got it. Okay. Any other any other tips? We got we got line movement. We got weather. You mentioned the guy that just maps out and it's strictly on schedule. What else you got for me? You know, I want to talk about turnovers because there's two schools of thought and the prevalent school of thought amongst the pros is that turnovers are largely random. So you get a team like a San Francisco 49ers last year that was minus 25 in turnover differential and they're going to get a huge uptick up, the wise guys typically say, because why did they only win four games last year? Well, they were just terribly unlucky. Um, and I, in the case of the 49ers, I'm going to agree with that, especially with Jimmy G coming back. But you've got to be careful because there are some teams where, you know what, Ross, those turnovers aren't random. It isn't luck. It's the case of, think about the Cleveland Browns for that two-year run where they only won one game, and all their stats were pretty darn good, but they just kept, kept giving away games with turnovers and the like. And you think about Kaiser throwing pick sixes and the like. And that's where the eye test is important also. When you actually watch the games and you know you have a quarterback that cannot be trusted and that the team does not trust, that is such an, a significant part of how bad that team is that you have to take that into consideration and just expect those turnovers are going to continue. Right, and there's just certain quarterbacks. Jameis Winston is one that, you know, that's just part of his game, and you have to expect that. Meanwhile, for the Patriots, they have a long track record now of not, you know, fumbling as much, of not turning the football over as much. Yeah, and when we talk about the Patriots, they also have a long track record of just doing everything correctly that other teams don't do. And so when you watch the games, and again, it really helps to watch it, when you see a team that is kicking off from the 50 after a personal foul penalty and the coach just kicks it 30 yards out of the end zone, you, just, you, you say to yourself, well, that coach is an idiot because, of course, you mortar kick it down to the three-yard line. You don't kick it out of the end zone. And I get it. There's so many things a head coach is responsible for and has to do that sometimes you just don't have time to do all this stuff. But if you're a good head coach, well, your special teams coach knows what he's doing and would never allow you to do that. And so the Patriots would consistently kick to the two-yard line in situations like that, whereas all the bad coaches and a lot of the rookie coaches just don't know the correct basic strategy, doesn't show up in the stat line, certainly shows up in whether the team covers and whether the team wins. You know, with all of the analytics stuff out there now, I know the Eagles use it heavily for fourth down decisions, field goal decisions, stuff like that. Even Army, West Point, every fourth down decision they make is based on the analytics. Have you seen coaches in general, both college and the NFL, 
making better, more informed decisions, or has that not really uh, been the case yet? I certainly am seeing it. Um, example is like when the Eagles started going for two down eight late in the game after a touchdown, and there was an uproar. Oh, that's completely wrong. Why would you do that? And I'm not going to bore everyone. It's just obvious to go for two. Um, just map out all the different permutations, um, assuming you have a close to a 50% two-point conversion rate. Um, so I get it that when it doesn't work, you, the media loves to trash coaches that do the unconventional, and it can cost you your job if your team's not having a good year. So there's certainly incentive for a coach not to be innovative in that area. But the bottom line is, when you think about it, Army has fourth and two from, um, from your 45-yard line, and they go for it. If you're the opposing coach, are you happy or are you unhappy? You're, you're miserable. You're like, darn it. We had them stopped, and you're just so angry. And if the opposing coach is so angry at that decision, obviously it's the correct decision. What, what else you got for me, Steve? Anything else? Props. Stop playing your fantasy football um, leagues. Uh, well, let me not say that because it's lots of fun and they're probably sponsors. Um, fantasy football leagues can be a lot of fun, Ross. All right. But when you play in those leagues, you're up against a whole lot of pros and it's difficult to win. However, if you're doing all this work anyway on doing these projections for what wide receivers, what tight ends, what running backs, what quarterbacks are going to have big weeks, you can bet on all this. And so because of that, I would recommend that you focus on betting at least as much on how the players are going to do in games than on how the teams are going to do. Because I would say the point spreads, for the most part, are a very efficient market in the NFL. Huge limits, $10,000 and higher on betting NFL sides. Well, the limits on betting how many yards is Adrian Peterson going to rush for, those are like $500 limits with the reason, because a lot of times those numbers can be dramatically wrong. And so because of that, I would encourage everyone, and I've done this myself, if people ask me, well, how many bets you got this NFL Sunday? I, I, I'll tell you, I have over 100 every Sunday, easily, way over 100. I'm like, that's crazy. No one could win that way. And I'm like, I'm playing Aaron Rodgers over 288 and under 302. Do you really think I'm going to lose with middles like that? So I would encourage everyone to play more and more um, fantasy football type player projections and betting players to go over and under. Got it. Okay, so use the fantasy football knowledge that we get like on the Fantasy Feast and use it to bet props. I thought you were going to say stay away from props. No, no. So when Evan Silva comes on and you're feasting on which running back is going to absolutely kick some serious butt and those numbers just came up, it's time to go ahead and fire on that player before he uh, gets more expensive and everyone starts betting on him. Yes. Can you talk middling, Steve, like you said, and for people that aren't as familiar, how you do that, why you do that? Yeah, so, you know, middling in terms of NFL um, betting would be like, I bet Baltimore minus three early in the summer at Miami. I might play Miami back. I think it's going to steam up to six and then take a piece of the Dolphins right before they kick off. That would be a middle that I'm playing, hoping the game lands anywhere from three to five there. Um, in terms of uh, player projections, and it's a good rule of thumb, if um, the higher the number, the bigger the middle that you'll need. So if you've got a quarterback that's supposed to throw for 300 yards, 
you can't go like over 300 and under 302, even though there's a, you know, there's, to ask for him to throw for exactly 301 yards is obviously a big long shot. So, but there are certain situations like um, number of receptions for a wide receiver. Ross, it's not unusual that I'll have like over five and under six on the same guy at the same time at two different sites. Think about that. Think how often he's going to catch exactly five or six passes. So I'll find good middles to be had in terms of, you know, betting on the honor against these players. Anything else? We got weather, we got schedule, we've got line movement, we've got props, anything else? I think pay attention to the um, non-skill position player injuries. It seems like the market does a pretty good job that when A.J. Green goes out for the Bengals, he's worth up points and the market will reflect that almost, you know, immediately. But when you get situations like cluster injuries for certain positions, like in the secondary for the Eagles last year, or uh, on the O line for like the Arizona Cardinals, oftentimes each one of these players, Ross, I, I hate to do this to you because you're a journeyman, you know, O lineman. When Ross Tucker's out, it he don't matter. He doesn't move the needle. But when two other linemen are out and you're out. All of a sudden, it's time to bet against the Buffalo Bills. No, I, I, I would agree with that because I would tell you that most teams have a sixth guy who is fine and not going to lose the game for you. Some have a seventh guy that fits that same criteria where he's fine, you plug him in, it's not really going to hurt you. Most teams do not have an eighth guy that fits that criteria. They have an eighth guy who might be the last O lineman on the roster, or they have an eighth guy uh, that is a liability young guy. I mean, that they're really just trying to develop. Most teams have seven guys that they feel somewhat comfortable with, and then the eighth and maybe ninth spots are young guys they're developing. So if you see a team that's down 3-0 linemen, that's a team to be concerned about. They might have a, they probably have a 6, almost definitely have a 6. They, they might have a 7. They almost certainly don't have an 8. So I think that's a good point. And oftentimes what happens is that like that 8th guy, like the tight end that you're bringing in, he can only play one position on the line because that's the only one he's, he's at all comfortable with. And now you're taking a guy and shuffling him and like, oh, we got to move him into center because both their centers are hurt and it just seems like every position is compromised, right? There's no question. Well, then too, right, if you're moving guys around, that's part of it as well. Well, Steve, this is awesome. Do you have any more or is that is that, that that's a pretty good, darn good start for how to win betting on pro football, that's for sure. I think one more just in terms of the bets you make. Remember, only one team's going to win the Super Bowl. Alabama or Clemson's going to win the national championship. <laughs> just stop with the, with the forecasting of betting futures. I, I, this is the time of year every expert, in quotes, talks about, oh, there's outstanding value betting, you know, Michigan State to win the championship. I'm actually high on Michigan State this year, but um, the bottom line is, no, there's not. There's value betting against all those teams if you could book all those lines on all these teams. So don't pick who's going to win the championships. 
if on your bets that you're going to make for the season, bet on season wins. Find undervalued and overvalued teams and bet them to go over or bet them to go under. That's how the pros bet and make money during the offseason on the futures. Steve, you're the man. Thank you so much as always. All right, Ross. Take care now. Steve, you really outdid yourself today, my man. That was excellent, excellent stuff. And this is another one kind of like that sports betting 101 that I look at like as an evergreen and people can check out and look at all the time, can go back and re-listen to to make sure that they've jotted down your tips or have a good understanding of it. Very cool. Then they can go to betonline.ag, use the promo code PODCAST1, get that 50% welcome bonus, and they're rolling. They're already into the money with the 50% welcome bonus when they type in podcast one at betonline.ag, your online sports book experts. Other than that, I think we're done here. Make sure you check out today's Fantasy Feast too. It was awesome. And good luck, everybody. Hope you guys win some money. Thanks for listening to the Even Money Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, the Fantasy Feast Podcast, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.